Good morning. If you would please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2 will be our text this morning. And I want to start out this morning by reading you some of the headlines from this past week. I opened up a news webpage on Wednesday, I think it was, and just copied down their top news stories. Uh, here they are for your enjoyment. First one was, Clinton and Trump crank up vitriol in prelude to expected November matchup. Okay, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can listen to that for the next six months, all right? I don't care what your politics are. These are two pretty flawed people that will be leading us in the next, next election cycle. All right, second headline. How a nuclear Iran will change the balance of power in the Middle East. Okay, I know this is shocking to you, uh, but there is violence in the Middle East. Okay, and it's also shocking that they expect the violence to continue. Okay? Third article. Media buzz, sex scandals, and suicide. All right, I confess, I don't know who or what that's talking about because I didn't want to get depressed, so I didn't click on it. But it doesn't sound good. Okay, the next headline. Bill Cosby ordered to stand trial for sexual assault. Okay, one of my childhood heroes who I looked up to and thought he was wonderful in every way uh, preached the morality on TV that I want to raise my family with, uh, but apparently in his own personal life, he has some struggles. Okay, next headline. Suspect arrested in Phoenix area shootings and carjacking. Okay, I'm glad they caught him, right? All right, and I know that I have talked about this before. Okay, but my temptation is to go to places like news websites or hear the nightly news, and I hear about all of these horrible things that all of these people are doing all in the world, celebrities and politicians and murderers and, and drug dealers and all kinds of things, and I think, man, I am really glad that my parents raised me in church, right? I'm glad that my parents taught me better than to steal cars, sexually assault women, and shoot at people, right? In my growing up, none of those crimes was even on my radar. Okay, I got in trouble once for skipping out of school at lunch to go off with my friends, and I think that's the biggest trouble I ever got in as a kid. And so, yeah, I've probably got some envy or greed, some worry in my life that I still need to work on. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? But I am light years ahead of those people. I am more righteous than they are. Okay, does anyone want to argue that the carjacker who is taking shots at people in Phoenix is morally superior to me, your beloved preacher? Okay, last week we read Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, what Paul basically does is he is taking first century CNN headline web pages and he's reading it to all of the church people. He says, you want to take a look around you, look at how the pagans live. Look at how the silly Romans who think that they're in charge of the world, look at how they conduct themselves. They are so pagan, they are so confused about worship, they will worship anything in a temple, they will worship any kind of an idol. Anytime that somebody else in the world says that some new god exists, they just add it to their pantheon, they will worship anything. There's no excuse for that. They are so corrupt that they will sleep with anything and everything that they can get their hands on. Look at the Romans. They will lie, cheat, and steal, and then they have the audacity to claim that their poets and philosophers have a corner on the market of morality. How silly are all of those pagans who don't know God? 
If it wasn't so tragic, it would be laughable. You compare them to the people of God who have the law that God gave on Mount Sinai. God told his people how to live. You compare the Jewish people to those pagans, and it's not even close. Apart from God, things get ugly, and they get nasty, and they get chaotic really quickly. You remember that lesson from last week? And now, I think that the church in Rome is a mixed audience. I think you've got both Jews and Gentiles reading this letter. And I think that as they read through Romans chapter 1, all of those people reading this, especially the Jews who have been living under God's law their entire lives, I think they cheer as Paul gives them chapter 1. Those big bad Romans, they think that they're in charge of the world, but look at how pitiful they are, and they don't even know it. They are barbarians. They don't know, like we do, that there is a better way to live. They may be in charge, they may have a big army, they may have lots of money. Okay, but what morons thinking that Zeus or Artemis or any one of those people is going to help them? They're not godly, they're pathetic. Preach it, Paul. Tell us more about how stupid it is to live like those people. Aren't we glad that we know better? They have no excuse Even if they've never heard of the God of Israel, they should be able to look at the mountains and the seas and realize that there is a God of order who is bigger than they are, and they should seek with all of their lives to worship that God. Even though they aren't the chosen people, there is no excuse for how those pagans live. Preach it, Paul. And then we flip the page and we get to chapter 2. And by the way, if you're one of the people who last Sunday came up to me and said that there were some people who really needed to hear that sermon, then today's sermon is for you, okay? (laughs) Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, you, therefore, have no excuse. Okay, and you remember how last week it was all those pagans who live apart from God, they have no excuse to live the way they do? But now Paul turns and he says, you, church people, have no excuse. Okay, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Okay, and I want to say, wait a second, Paul, hold on just a minute. I was more than okay with you condemning those people out there, with you telling about how the pagans live and how it's so wrong and how they deserve it and how they're horrible people. But now it seems to me, Paul, like you're turning your finger and pointing it at us and telling me that I'm in the same boat that they are. Okay, surely you don't mean to tell me that I'm just as bad as those pagans. Notice verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persisting in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, 
he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All right, a couple weeks ago, or a week ago Friday, it was Sam's birthday. Okay, he turned an illustrious three years old. All right, two weeks prior to Sam turning three, my oldest, Luke, turned seven. Okay, their birthdays are real close together. And when Luke had his birthday on May 11th, uh, Rachel got a bunch of balloons, a big Paw Patrol balloon, because that's his favorite, his favorite characters, um, and then seven little colored balloons to go around it. And when he woke up in the morning, the first thing Luke saw was his balloons, his Paw Patrol balloon, all his balloons, very excited about it. Sam was also very excited about all the balloons that Luke got, and he was very jealous of Luke's balloons. But we told Sam, we said, your birthday's coming in a couple weeks. When you have your birthday, you too will get your balloons. He's very excited. Okay, Sam's birthday rolls around, we could go Friday. Mom also went out and got balloons for Sam, got him his big Paw Patrol balloon, because that's got to be fair, right? Uh, and then got him three little balloons to go around his one big Paw Patrol balloon because he's turning three. Okay? First thing that happens, Sam's birthday morning, he wakes up, sees the balloons, turns and looks at us and says, where's the rest of my balloons? <laughs> he proceeded to go downstairs and go from room to room looking for the rest of his balloons. How come Luke got more balloons than I did? Well, because when you turn seven, you can have seven balloons, but you turn three, so you got the number of balloons that correspond to your birthday. And he looks at us like, you're holding out on me, parents. What gives? Right? So we got over the balloon controversy of 2016. Then, the next thing that happened is we said, okay, Sam, we're going to take Luke to school, but after we take Luke to school, then we're going to take you to Krispy Kreme to get a donut. And he looked at us and he said, a donut? I want cake. <laughs> Rachel's really making a mess out of my two kids, I'm telling you. <laughs> now, and I wanted to look at my youngest, my newly minted three-year-old, and I wanted to say, okay, you ungrateful little heathen. <laughs> How about I pop your balloons? And instead of getting a donut for breakfast, you can have a crust of bread and some water. How about we do that instead? I didn't tell him that, by the way. Um, but we did have a conversation about being grateful. Uh, and since he's three, and since I teach morality for a living, I'm sure he gets it. We won't have any further problems, right? No, but he needs to learn gratitude. Okay, now, a little while later... I was driving my car to work, uh, and I heard a Mercedes commercial on the radio. And the tagline for the commercial is, you've waited long enough. And I thought, I've waited long enough. <laughs> I need to start saving for a new car. Okay, and then I started thinking about all the things that are wrong with my car. I don't like my car, it's old, right? You roll up the windows in my car, right? <laughs> You have to unlock the door. You don't push a button to unlock the door in my car. Okay, the paint job's starting to fail. It's older. It's got a lot of miles on it. And so in my mind, I'm complaining about my car. Okay, but you know what? 
my car is paid for, it runs well, and it gets good gas mileage. And I can imagine my Father in Heaven thinking, okay, you ungrateful little heathen. How do you feel about walking for a while, right? Okay, so what happens? I chastise my son for not being grateful for the gifts I have given him, and then I turn around and complain about the gifts that my father has given me. Now, do you think that overall I am more grateful than my three-year-old? Okay, I think I am, all right? I think I am. But regardless of how immature I may still be, um, I do say with confidence I am more grateful than my three-year-old. Right, but do I have perfect gratitude? No. Okay, and there's other differences uh, between me and my son. Most notably is that I should know better, right? All right, here's what I think is the first big idea of Romans chapter 2. If you're taking notes, write this down. Okay, and that is that we fail as people of God when we rejoice in our own righteousness. Okay? I think the rest of Romans chapter 2 which we won't take the time to read this morning, but you should spend some time reading through that this week, but it hammers this point home. We are wrong when we rejoice in our own righteousness and when we point that finger and we condemn those people. Okay, if what we do as the people of God is we sit in our churches and sit in our pews and talk about how blessed we are to live a better life than those people outside of our walls, I think we have completely missed the point of what it means to be the people of God. That work? That makes sense? Okay, so I think the question that we need to ask ourselves as we consider Romans chapter 2 is this, okay? When I hear of my neighbor struggling with some sin, what's my reaction? I think if when I hear about sins in the world and hear about how those people live, or whenever I see somebody that I know who is struggling with the sin, if my reaction is to feel superior to my neighbor then I'm still a long way from the kingdom of God. I think we need to be careful about rejoicing in our own righteousness. Now, let me say, I think GCC does a pretty good job with this point. You know, I know that there's sometimes churches that have reputations for being places where everyone has to act like they have all of their life together before they can become part of the church. And then once you enter the church, you have to pretend that everything is perfect in your life because we wouldn't ever want anyone at church to know that there's anything wrong with anything. Okay, my favorite example is this, is, uh, you know, you've been to churches before where you might be on the way to church and you guys are yelling at each other, mom and dad are yelling, the kids are misbehaving and everything's just going chaotically around you. But what happens as soon as your feet hit the pavement of the church parking lot? Oh, we are so blessed to be here this morning, right? And immediately we got to pretend like everything's great and wonderful and fine, okay? I think at Gwinnett, we do a pretty good job usually of being real, Okay, we've got a lot of people here with baggage. We've all got our problems. Uh, we recognize that the hospital, that, sorry, that the church is a hospital for all of us sick people. Okay, it's not a museum for holiness. I think we do a pretty good job at Gwinnett of remembering that. Okay, we've all got our junk. We've all got our issues, and we're okay with that. Okay, but my point this morning is we need to be intentional about that. We need to always guard against that attitude that rejoices in my own righteousness rather than admitting that I'm a sinner in need of grace. Fair enough? 
All right. Subpoint to number one, subpoint number two to point number one. All right. If you're taking notes, I'm trying to make it complicated. All right. This doesn't mean that we quit calling sin sin. Okay. Now, how many of you think that when Sam complained about not getting enough balloons and not getting cake for breakfast, how many of you think that I should have said, well, you know, I'm still ungrateful sometimes, so I can't point fingers at my son, so I guess I'm just going to let him be ungrateful. Would that have been helpful to him? Okay, not at all. I think the lesson in this is not that I should allow my son to be ungrateful. Okay, it's not, well, I can't judge, so I better just let him grow up to be a selfish pagan. No, I think the issue here is I should teach my son gratitude, okay, but, and here's the important piece, I need to continually also work on my own gratitude. And there's a difference between those two things, okay? I think a lot of people really like to point out how the Bible warns against judging, okay? You've got this particular passage, and you've also got the very famous one, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about taking the speck out of your brother's eye, says, before you do that, what are you supposed to do? Okay, you take the plank out of your own eye. And Jesus very famously says, don't judge. Okay, but I think the problem with a lot of people who say, well, the Bible says you shouldn't judge, is what they often mean is, I want to do what I want to do, and nobody should be able to tell me that anything I do is wrong. Okay, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount either. Okay, I contend that we should judge evil for what it is. Okay, after all, go back and read Romans chapter 1 again. You want to read some passages of Scripture that aren't afraid to call evil what it is? It's Romans chapter 1. You read Paul in Romans 1, it sounds pretty judgy. Okay, I think his point is not to avoid calling evil evil. His point is that we should judge ourselves while we're doing it and we realize when we're condemning evil in the world, we're also condemning ourselves. Next week, we're going to get to the part of this where Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hey, don't be afraid to call sin, sin, but do so from the position of a fellow sinner. I think that's the difference. That makes sense? That work? All right. So number one is don't rejoice in your own righteousness. Okay, and the second point is this. That is that we fail as people of God when we presume upon God's grace. Okay, notice verse 4. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? All right, here's the point. Being the people of God, being the redeemed, being those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, being God's holy children gathered together in our church does not give us a pass on living a holy life. If we enter into this relationship with, with God with the attitude that says, oh, well now that I'm saved, I don't have to worry about anything anymore, and I can just relax and live however I want to, okay, then we haven't understood the purpose of grace. Right, back in the days of Jeremiah, a long time before Jesus came around, around 700 years before Jesus came around, uh, there were a number of false prophets running around uh, declaring that everything was going to be fine for the city of Jerusalem because, after all, we are the people of God. You want to know where God makes his dwelling on earth? It's right over there at the temple, right on the mercy seat, Ark of the Covenant, right? We have the temple of the Lord, and that is what will keep us safe. 
Lots of prophets were running around and telling the people that, and the people believed it. Okay, and they believed it because God had done it before in the past. Okay, generations before, when the Assyrians marched down, they encircled Jerusalem, but God destroyed all of those people and said, I'm not going to destroy my people. I will not destroy my temple. Okay, generations later, the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, okay, we have the temple of the Lord, but that is not going to keep us safe because God made us his covenant people, but now we have presumed upon his grace. And we're running around saying, well, we've got the temple, so that means we can do whatever we want because we're God's people. Jeremiah preached to the people. He said, it doesn't work that way. God gave you his temple. He gave you his law so that you could live holy lives. You're not doing that. So the next time an army comes marching through, it will lead to destruction. And the people didn't believe it. Consequently, most of the people lost their lives. It was only a remnant that were saved. If we think that grace means that we just quit worrying about our sins, then we have misunderstood grace. Paul's biggest argument against his own people, the Jews, was they had grace, but it never led them to true repentance. Instead, it led to an attitude which said, well, that makes me better than you. And Paul condemns it. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I played baseball, uh, and the coach was named Coach DeLear. Okay, and he had a son on our team, uh, and he was one of the pitchers for the baseball team. And I remember very vividly one day we were all at practice, and coach's son uh, decided that since his daddy was the coach, that meant that he could goof off more than everybody else did, right? Because after all, that was his daddy that was a coach. And this was very early on in the season, and so he starts goofing off, and all the other boys were goofing off too. Uh, I mean, obviously not me, but the other boys were, right? And I'll never forget, I can still hear in my mind, our coach screaming at the top of his lungs. He said, Delir, run! Okay. And so Delir, his own son, had to run all the way to the end of the field and back numerous times until he could not run anymore. And he was making an example out of his own son, right? Why? Because it was his kid, and his kid should have known better. And he wanted all of us other boys to know that his kid didn't get special treatment, Right? It was a good lesson, and again, that was in about fifth grade, and I remember it to this day. I think what we sometimes do is we think, well, we're children of God. That means we can do whatever we want to, right? Because our daddy loves us, and he's just going to give us grace anyways. And yet Paul insists here, and he continues to insist, that is not why you and I were given grace. We were given grace to lead us to holiness, we need to take the grace that we have been given and use that as the motivation for us to continue developing lives that look like Jesus Christ. I contend the number one goal for you and I as Christians is the life of discipleship. What discipleship means is that we are becoming more like Jesus. So what does it look like for us not to just sit back on grace and say, okay, I got grace, now I can just chill, and instead say, what does it look like for me to be holier tomorrow than I am today? What are the things that I truly do need to work on? What are the ways that I need to continue becoming more like Jesus? God's grace should lead us to holiness. All right, we're going to continue this train of thought next week as we continue our study of the book of Romans because Paul will have a whole lot more to say to us about what grace and righteousness and sanctification and all those things look like. Uh, but I hope we'll take Romans chapter 2 and realize that when we condemn sin in the world, we do so not as a superior people, but as a forgiven people who are also sinners 
uh, seeking the way of Jesus.